This, 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 this is mythical. What's the best sparkling water? The Sport Crew says they have the answer. Check out their ranking of the best sparkling waters on the market, flavored or not. Are judges on food shows lying to you? <gasps> this is a hot dog is a sandwich. Ketchup is a smoothie. Yeah, I put ice in my cereal, so what? That makes no sense. A hot dog is a sandwich. A hot dog is a sandwich. <laughs> what? Welcome to our podcast, A Hot Dog is a Sandwich. I'm your host, Josh Sher. And I'm your host, Nicole Anaiti. And today we are joined by Gail Simmons, culinary expert, food writer, and television personality. You may know her best as a permanent judge on Bravo's Emmy-winning series Top Chef since the show's inception in 2006, and I was right there watching the premiere, <laughs> Nicole. And she's coming back to your TV on March 9th for Top Chef Season 20 International All-Stars Edition set in London. Gail, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, guys. I'm psyched to be talking to you. I, Us, I am too. Psyched. This is incredible. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Psyched to be talking to you. Uh, psyched about Top Chef Season 20 International All-Stars. Badass. I mean, this, this is, they should have just renamed it The Hunger Games because <laughs> That's what this reminds me Essentially, of. Essentially, that's what it is. Yes, it's very cutthroat to the death. Probably IP uh, issues around that. But uh, t- tell me about the new season <laughs> that is coming out on March 9th. You're taking all-stars from countries all around the world? That's right. So the most amazing thing about our little journey, our little engine that could, is that, you know, we started making Top Chef in 2006. We have now mm-hmm. made 20 seasons. And along the way different countries all over the world, something like 29 countries all Shut over the world up. have licensed and made their own versions of Top Chef. So there's Top Chef Middle East and Top Chef Poland and Top Chef France and Italy <gasps> and Top Chef Canada and Top Chef um, yeah, Lithuania. I don't know. I mean, really <laughs> 29 of them. Uh, in addition to our version, which airs in you know 100 plus countries mm-hmm, all over yeah. the world. And so we were trying to figure out what to do for our 20th anniversary, this kind of milestone. We can't believe we're still kicking around. That's right. Milestone. And we thought, well, wouldn't it be amazing to gather winners and runners up, like the best of the best from all these different versions all over the world, bring them to some sort of like neutral territory and shoot a top chef with them. And that's what we did. So it's called World All-Stars. There are 11 countries represented, all winners or finalists from their respective countries, and me, Tom, and Padma hanging out in London for two months. And it was Rad. amazing. It was so fun. It kind of changed everything. It just felt really different and crazy and like something we'd never done before. And I'm really excited for you guys to see it. I'm, I also, I'm hyped. Top, top Chef <laughs> yeah. is my favorite sports season. Like my oh, favorite nice. sports seasons go Top <laughs> Chef. Then it's like college basketball, nice. outdoor track and field. Yeah. 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 Um, Most but, food competitions are like the best sports on TV. No offense. 100%. But no, there's there's a reason. So a thing we wanted to talk about today yeah. is what makes Top Chef different as a cooking competition show. Because not only is Top Chef on its 20th season, but every single season and every single competitor mm-hmm. stays relevant. Like Top Chef is the only cooking competition show out there. And I'm not just trying to butter your bread over here. <laughs> but that if you are in... Up. <laughs> I will because like I'll absolutely Good gush. I, I feel it. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean every every I, chef testament. I know that's a branded chef word. It's, it still feels silly to say for it's me. Not, I think it's still a capital C. I don't think we own the word, but we did create the word. I'm gonna use. I'm gonna hey. make chef testament T-shirts then. In that case, <laughs> uh, but every contestant that's in the top five, I mean, they are getting restaurant deals. They're getting opportunities. It's incredible. I'm one of those people. My first date with my fiance was at Top Chef Boston winner May Lynn's restaurant. Uh, Nightshade, Boston Report. Nightshade, Boston, oh, yeah. downtown we LA. It was the most beautiful restaurant. Oh, I loved it. I love her. And you're right. Uh, you know, we think about this a lot 
because we want to stay in our jobs. And <laughs> all of us, not just that. Tom Bagman and I, but all 150 of us really love making this show. Sure. And so every year the question becomes, how do we keep relevant? How do we stay being able to do what we've created and, and make it different and make it fresh and make people want to keep watching? And I think there's a number of things that have allowed us to do that. I think you hit it on the head, Josh, in that it's not about us. It's really about the, the contestants. Mm-hmm. Um, our casting department spends an inordinate amount of time I'm all sure. year long finding people who really speak to sort of our mission of the best of the best, people on that like precipice of their careers yeah. who we know can change the industry. And I think, and also that they have a story to tell, you know, they need to be able to cook obviously at the highest level. Like these are all professionals. These are not people who want to be chefs, right? These are people who have been practicing their craft for 10 plus years. They're chef de cuisines, they're executive chefs, they're restaurant owners at this point on their own, in their own right. And they are, um, they have a specific point of view so they can cook, but they also need to tell their story and, you know, those criteria have also changed and and sort of evolved and become even more important over the years as the culinary industry has changed, too. So that's the first thing. We, we really make sure that it's about them and and how to put them in a, play, a position just to make the most captivating, mm-hmm. you know, storytelling. Right. And then also, I think the fact that we're not a studio show. We're on location. We go around the world. So every... Yeah. I mean, this is the first season. London was the first time we did an entire season abroad, but we usually are in a different city in America mm-hmm. every single season, a different place all over the world for the finale. We've been from Hawaii to Singapore to Italy, um, Mexico, all over the place. And so the backdrop is such a big piece of our story. It, um, you know, the backdrop really speaks to the food that we're cooking, the history, the way we create our challenges, it really becomes its own character in a lot of ways. And it's what differentiates every season. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't tell the same story in Charleston that we tell in Tuscany. We don't tell the same story in Boston that we tell in Colorado. Um, Because the ingredients, the agriculture, the chefs who built those cities, the Mm -hmm. immigrant populations Mm -hmm. that traversed into those places through trade routes over hundreds of years, like inform the food you eat in that place, which inform the food that we're going to get them to cook and learn. And so every season is really different. And that sounded sort of weirdly like a geography lesson, but also <laughs> that's part of I it. Think that's what makes us yeah. different. Right. So uh, I'm really like, I think, you know, it's the hardest part about our show because it, we, you know, every year we have to start fresh and every mm. year we have to build our kitchen all over again and pick up our families and um, move to some, unknown location but we also get to really like plant roots and learn about that place both on the show and off mm-hmm. and I think that's what kind of makes us who we are I think it's such an important piece of what keeps us going yeah have you ever thought about having two internet chefs be on top chef tell yeah. your casting director mm. we're just saying Nicole Nicole <laughs> pin, no, pitch, no, pitch us harder not been. <laughs> well you know I know you guys know a lot about food I've listened to you All talk right. about food and I <laughs> love talking about thank food you. with you and, you, and hearing you. you guys talk about food but really, this is about like the the restaurant industry, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. It's really about pros in professional kitchens. Absolutely. Like I don't call myself a chef. I've worked in the restaurant industry for twenty plus years mm-hmm. and um, more, twenty four years at this point. I'm really, really old, and I would never call myself a chef. Tom is yeah. a chef. He's a chef, chef. He's the you know the demigod of chefs. <laughs> but our show is about 
really um, opening that kitchen door and seeing You're what right. the real life and, and, the, and the skills of true professionals are. We've had franchises over the years, right? We did Top Chef Junior and Top Chef Desserts and Top Chef Masters. Love Top Chef And Junior. Top Chef Amateurs. Oh, we can do and Top Chef Amateurs. amateurs. <laughs> even, like, total amateurs. I mean, you guys aren't total amateurs. That's not <laughs> but it was people who are not pros cooking every single night on yeah. a line. Yeah. But that's what our flagship is really about. It's about the trenches, you know? And that's one of the things that I love about it so much yeah. is that level of professionalism. So we get asked all the time. We call ourselves chefs. We've both worked in restaurants, but primarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very sparingly. Though, yeah, exactly. We're, we're but not, it's not what you do now. Every no, exactly. no, no, right? no. And Food so, media. but yeah. a lot of Me people. Too. Yeah, we'll, we'll get questions just like, why don't you ever go on Top Chef? One, we're not eligible because we're not that type of chef. But two. I would get kicked off immediately and I would get kicked off specifically because your food's bad by Tom. Not because my food's oh. bad. No, no, no. Like I fully believe <laughs> that we can cook with the best of the best. But sure. the differences are, I remember there was one season, there was a person who identified as a quote, private chef in Napa. He was a young guy. Huh. And we in the industry know that the term private chef means a lot of different things to a That's lot of true. different people. That is very And so true. there was a, um, God, I think there were like three different kitchens, but they were doing it was the first episode. It might have been a season where you started with like 30 contestants and then immediately cut half of them. Yeah. That, oh, we did do that once. Yeah. God, now you're really stretching my brain. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've watched, I've rewatched He's every season. Big it might have been in in in, 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 uh, in Texas. I think in Texas we did that. We started, the first episode was like, yeah, 30 chefs mm-hmm. in San Antonio and we immediately got rid of half of them and that's where the season started. And I think it was like Wolfgang Puck, Tom, wow. and then another chef were like, I'm going to put you through a technical proficiency round to weed you out. Ooh. And Tom had them like breaking, yeah, here's- Fabricating chickens? It wasn't fabricating chickens, no, oh, worse, breaking down primal cuts of beef. Oh, and so yeah. yeah, and so there's Tom who, <laughs> like you said, he's a, sh- I mean, I've read his book, Think yeah, Like a I, Chef, yeah. um, total yeah. chef chef guy from New York. Totally. And, uh, you know, if I were faced with a butcher knife and, hey, break down the primal cuts of beef, I'd be like, hold on, let me watch a 40-minute YouTube video about it and then do poorly. Because <laughs> that's how we would yeah, even I mean, information, yeah. Playing a fish, it's like, I can do it, but it's not something that that I do do it's every day. It's not muscle memory. Right. Well, that's it. But yeah. that's it. It's you nailed it, Nicole. That's what it's about. Mm. It's about muscle memory. It's about people who are like, it's rote for them, right? Like mm. these are people who are sure. on the line cooking their guts out every single day, yeah. uh, and also leading every day, right? Yeah. Because sure. the word chef is different than the word cook. Like mm. I was a cook for a long time, and I'm a expert. I'm an I am a professional in the industry, but I'm not a chef. A chef to me is the person who leads a kitchen team. Totally. And if you're not doing that. You could be an amazing home cook. You could be an amazing entertainer. You could be an amazing, knowledgeable person, as I like to think I am, but I am not a chef, right? It's yeah. just a different It's a different set of muscles. It's a different part mm-hmm. of your brain. Absolutely. And that creates, like, one incredible, real, very real drama on the show. Again, I'm just going <laughs> to gush. Screw it. I don't care what we're talking <laughs> I'm about. I'm having fun. Point. Okay, good. But no, a moment that I think about a lot is uh, – Kristen Kish, who one of, to me, the best Top Chef contestants mm-hmm. of all time, um, yeah. fully throwing herself under the bus with uh, Josie um, when Josie came back for <laughs> Thank you so much. He does. When that was really back. big. That was yeah. a very big moment for us. It was crazy. And, and I mean, none of that is staged. None of that's pre-produced. That's Nothing. No way. We could never. It, first of all, Tom would walk off the set yeah. in a second because he is, you know, our or North Star. But none of us would want that. That's not how our show works. Mm. I don't know. I can't speak to any other show, any other food competition, but our show is not scripted. It's not planned. And if our producers try to step in and um, suggest something, 
we all just give them the finger I, most days. Oh. I love that so much. We got to, Nicole, we need to have that attitude here. Who do we Someone give the finger in, to? Maggie, Maggie, right here. I'm sorry. No, that was a joke. But Who now do you want it's, me to it's give on the air. Finger to? Oh, it didn't feel right. But no, there was this one. I don't know if you know this moment. So it's during Restaurant Wars, which, okay. again, that's. I, I know a restaurant Wars. Yeah, yeah. 10, I want to say, in Seattle. I think it was. Is that true? I think so. I think it was, yeah, yeah. And um, the team split up, and then they have to make yeah, the restaurant. Like yeah, if if the finale is my Super Bowl, Restaurant Wars is like my I don't know, like my All Star game, Your my NHL dunk contest. Whatever. You know, oh, okay, got it, got it. Thing. It's it's that mid season thing. More sports references, my favorite. Sorry. Okay, Top Chef's a sport. <laughs> um, but Josie, who is working working as uh, Kristen Kish is is the head chef, head chef? the executive okay. chef of the restaurant. Josie messes up a dish, okay, and like kind of waffles amidst the judges, being like, "Well, I was told to do this," but and you could tell she was kind of trying to protect herself and then Kristen just steps up and she's just like I'm the head chef I should have had a better eye on it I should have been tasting while I was expoing you're right I should go home I'm out and yep. then battles her way back through last chance kitchen which what another mm-hmm. freaking addition wow mm-hmm. I love people mm-hmm. like that yeah yeah that but, just take and ends up taking it that takes but, you know and that was a momentous like season for all those reasons mm-hmm. because for us that was the first time that that had happened really where where I mean, other people had put themselves up on the chopping block and back down, but we all, it was mostly always because they had sort of deserved to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, but you know, in Kristen's mind as the chef that she is, she was like, I'm the head of this kitchen. I take the blame. That's the job of a chef. You celebrate when, when things go great, you celebrate the mm-hmm. people under you. That's and right. when things go crappy, you take the fall. Like that's, that's what a great chef does. And Kristen was like, you know what? You're right. She screwed up, but I should have known better because I was leaving her and I'm out. I can't like, um, you know, she kind of fell on her sword. Yeah. But then she battled back through Last Chance Kitchen, came back to the finals and won the whole thing. And that was the first time that that had ever happened. And that proved Mm -hmm. to us because Last Chance Kitchen 10 seasons ago was still um, a social experiment. You know, it was something no one else had done. And we were trying to do this sort of, you know, simultaneous online competition with our eliminated chefs we didn't know if it would ever work or be relevant Mm -hmm. and when she won and came back and then won the whole thing it sort of proved our our hypothesis that that could really become something that could be integrated into the show so she was you know just a warrior a warrior human 100% 100% and now I mean she's off you know doing her own thing one opening up restaurants um, but also mm-hmm. hosting multiple shows now with yeah. Wow. yeah she wrote a cookbook she she shot the proposal for her cookbook in my living room no way. oh my gosh wrote, what a homie she wrote half the book I and mean, this is a testament to the relationships that you um forge with contestants after the fact she wrote she she wrote half the book. She, she had a a, an, a co-author who helped her write the book, who was based in Montreal, and my husband's family's from Montreal. And she wrote half the book literally in my husband's childhood bedroom, like she was staying in his childhood bedroom. That's incredible to work on the book with this woman in Montreal. And so she, we would at night we would get like texts from her showing us, you know, my husband's like stuffed raccoon from when he was twelve years old. <laughs> That's incredible. And then his mom would be texting us, being like, um. I caught Kristen raiding the fridge at two in the morning, making like grilled cheese sandwiches. You know, funny. Yeah, she and found the white anchovies and she was do. making an emulsion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So she was great. She's she's amazing. Uh, how many other TV food competition judges do you think have relationships like this with you know the people who have competed on it? Yeah. This seems really. Is special. this like a Top Chef exclusive thing? You think? 
It's a good question. I've never asked. Here's the thing. I, again, I think a lot of other competition shows that have different relationships from the get go sure. with their contestants uh, where they all kind of can hang out during the taping or some competitions are just every episode stands alone. So there's sure. new contestants coming in, you know, chopped is like new people yeah. every single yeah. episode right. with us. We sort of like, you know, go to a remote location with these people for two months, but we have zero contact with them until the show has not only been shot, but then aired. We very oh. specifically, and our, our producers very specifically, do not let us alone in a room with them. They are babysat from the second they wake up in the morning till the second they go to bed. We are completely kept separate from them because we don't want to get to know them. We don't want to have any relationship with them while they're cooking. We just want to know about their food. We don't care if their sense. wife left them, if they had a baby <laughs> two months ago, if they're suffering from some sort of other traumas. Totally. We, don't, we want to be impartial because that's the only way to get to a fair um, final result in our minds. Mm. It's the only way to play the game well. And we've tried, we've thought about it a million ways and it's just no other way works for us. So we keep so completely uh, detached and away from them that we aren't even allowed to look them in the eye unless we're on camera and they don't even keep us in the same building most of the time, except for when we're in the kitchen or when we're at judges table or at a challenge. So it's only afterwards, you know, after it airs, even we don't even engage with them on social media or anything until after the show has aired. Wow. And only okay. that, because we also, then people see it and, and, and mm. they think that people don't understand how little contact and they don't, even though, once the show airs, it's many months. I'm sorry. Once the show is shot, there's many months until it airs. Of course. And all the decisions have already been made. But when <laughs> yeah. things come out or mm. people get to know them while they're watching the show, they don't know that timeline. And it can just be not good. We like to just keep things really clean. But afterwards, we do have the chance to get to know them. We're off often at events with them. We mm -hmm. reach out. We, you know, celebrate them. We do lots of things with them. And that's really special because there are so many of them now over 20 seasons who have become big parts of our lives and huge parts of the restaurant industry in and <laughs> of itself. Right? So huge parts of my lives. I, uh, no, I know. my first date ended yeah, up with an go. engagement there. there so we did it. I mean, <laughs> thanks Maylin. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> So that level of like realism and the judging <clears throat> and you not getting to know the contestants yeah. in that way, it's funny because the audience is getting to know them in that way while you're not. That's so true. And yes. so you almost end up, I'm going to bring up controversial, most controversial finale of all time, Nina Compton versus Nicholas Elmy. Yeah, that's it. Saying, I mean, that that's was, and I remember Why was Tom, it so controversial? All right, so Nina Compton, I mean, one incredible chef, okay. uh, and she had been dominating the entire season Nicholas Elmy from Philadelphia has a mm -hmm. restaurant out there called Laurel. Okay. Uh, super, super molecular gastronomy. I'm going to make nine different Ooh. types of carrots and different textures and whatever. Okay. Um, but like everyone the whole season is just like Nina is going to absolutely smoke this finale. And then she really sort of like bit off a lot more than she could chew. Not only that. For her finale was, I, be I believe it was like yes. either it was I think maybe a five course meal. And uh -huh. she was like, I'm going to make mm -hmm. seven courses huh? and due to the rules. Um, Y'all were like, well, we're, we're only judging five because that's what this was about and so some of her food like had to suffer because okay. she made so much stuff Oh, and so Nicholas man. ends up winning that season and everybody was like can't you see that she was the best chef the whole time and deserved to win and it was like right. but we are playing it by the rules that we have set out from the beginning yeah well here's the thing you're you're right and we still 
go back, you know, in the lore of the show and talk about that finale so often uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, it's there's like precedence. We're like the Supreme Court, you know, mm-hmm. and it sets precedence um, that we have to continue. And here's the exact thing about an example, like like you suggest that season, season eleven. It was our New Orleans season. We went to Hawaii for the finale, and the issue becomes. I think that another thing that makes the show special is that that's exactly where the tension lies mm-hmm. in the show sure. between viewer and us. We are the taste buds, right? You can't taste the food. Like other shows, you can hear their song. You can see their fashion designs. You can't taste the food. So you rely completely on us for that that sensory experience. Meanwhile, all you see is once it's all strung together and edited together, you're seeing their their narrative Mm -hmm. up front before you see their food every episode, right? We, meanwhile, have seen nothing of what you see until the same time that you're seeing it. So when it's happening, when we shoot it four months before, we don't know any of that stuff. Mm. We don't know any of the what's happening in the kitchen, what's happening in the house, what's going on in their lives. All we see, because we keep so separate from them, is what's in front of us at every challenge. And if we are to judge cumulatively over the course of a season, it becomes completely unfair. If we were to say, well, yes, you're right, Nina won more challenges, beat him more times in the past, then how do you judge the... Um, the actual qualities of the dish in front of you. Because then it becomes, well, she really screwed up today, but she did so well yesterday that mm-hmm. she should win. Well, that isn't fair. That's it right. has to be our judging on our show has to just be what is in front of you every day. And every day you get a clean slate and you start fresh. <laughs> Otherwise, we're basing it on subjectivity, on if we like the person, on yes. personal bias, or on, well, he won four challenges, but even though today he totally screwed up, we're just going to give it to him. So what's it worth to, like, what's the point, right, in, in trying to do yeah. well every day? What's the motivation there? And on the reverse, it's true too. What if someone can't find their groove for a couple Mm. of challenges, but then they do and they nail it and they put it in front of you and you're like, yeah, well, this is awesome and it's by far the best dish at the table, but Nina did better yesterday, so Mm. we're going to give it to her. Like That doesn't make sense either, right? We've tried to think about this. We've tried to think of a formula, a million ways to do it otherwise, and it's impossible because it doesn't speak to the challenge that we're giving them that day in that moment. And that was an example, Nina versus... um, you know, versus Nicholas all those years ago of how we had to stick to the rules or else Mm. it wouldn't have been fair. Do you know that we sat at that judge's table until six o'clock in the morning? (laughs) Get the hell out of here. No way. Like choosing a new pope. And (laughs) yes, I was um, almost eight months pregnant. (laughs) It was a big deal. So painful, but we could not, we could not get up until we were all on the same page and really felt like we were making a decision that felt right. And, and yes, there was in my heart things I wanted to say, or, you know, to give it to Nina, but in the Mm. end, we knew that that episode, that dinner, that meal, those dishes, that particular day, Nicholas had been more consistent and he had delivered a little bit more of a stronger cohesive meal Damn. and that had to count right so it's safe to it say was so nerdy of me to <laughs> no it wasn't me. nerdy it was so passionate i loved it so it's safe to say you guys don't really lie on the show we don't because you can't we don't it goes and against, honestly like i would yeah. say i would say you know it'd be easier 
but we don't want to lie because like, yeah. look what we've done. We, there's something that's worked and here we are. We're still here. I feel like it goes against the ethos of the show and you three as judges. It just doesn't make yeah. sense to lie because everyone's doesn't. like, oh, the food is cold or the dish <laughs> or like, or like, it's oh, it's cold. not cold. That, see, I had no idea. I thought the food would be cold. I thought they Again, can't they, speak to other shows. Yeah. But they might put like a garnish shame. at the end or like something, you know, like when time's up, they still put a little garnish. So they cheat. But <laughs> no, you're like, OK, whatever. No, no. But you guys don't do that. Timers go off when we say 45 minutes or two and a half <laughs> hours. That's exactly what they get. And our our AD and his team are so vigilant that food is eaten hot. So, you know, Padma and I joke, but it's true that, like, if my dress isn't done up or if I'm in the bathroom or if I'm busy sending an email, when that timer goes off, then I don't eat. Like, it doesn't matter. That food's coming out the second it gets set down. It's not wow. fair to them. Compromises their food. On our very first finale, season one, we had uh, an issue about the, the temperature of the food and it changing the consistency of that dish, right? Okay. Food sits, it gets, it congeals, Coagulates. it changes, it weeps, it melts, it does mm-hmm. a million different things. And that first season, we felt that because it sat around to wait for the lighting to be good and to mm-hmm. wait for us to be ready, that their food was compromised. And Tom looked up and was like, this is never happening again. I can't do it. It's not fair to them. They've just worked their butts off. They are sweating. They are Mm. putting everything into it. We have to respect what they've done. And if we're going to be serious and want to get the quality of chef testing that we are striving to get on the show, then we need to prove to them that we give a, a crap, a poop. (laughs) crap i think crap is within our guidelines okay i don't know i'm trying i'm stretching no i respect it it's so hard for us Uh, (laughs) we were hoping to catch you in a big lie about how all the food's cold and how it's all food stylist tricks yeah Uh, but no i mean we so you know we make a youtube cooking show and we'll do little competitions (laughs) have you seen it that means, yeah. that means so much. Oh my gosh. Uh, oh my gosh. You, know, you gotta come judge. You, we gotta nice. see what it actually takes. <laughs> Nicole all but I'm gonna destroy you so hard. I'm gonna sabotage. I'm gonna though. destroy you. No, 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 I'm gonna throw salt in your food from I'm across the room. I'm gonna throw sugar in I, yours. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, go, go. I mean, you know how much uh you need to get beauties of the food and you're trying to set up the lights yeah. and things get cold. Thumbnail and, photos, beauty photos. You gotta pick get a picture of your own face wearing the same shirt you were wearing two uh-huh. days ago. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. Awesome. But it's that, it's that relentless that. commitment that makes a good product. And the thing I think about in food media, especially yeah. today, is the answer is always more, not better. You know, it's always like we mm-hmm. need to, um, we're not calling. Listen, I love Food Network. I grew up on Food Network. I still watch sure. a ton of it's Food like Network. It's like over the top. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's um, and I think the president of Food Network once said it's not our job to teach people how to cook. It's our job to get people to watch TV. Sure. It's totally true. And we're Fair. trying to get views on YouTube. Um, and I know Top Chef is similarly expanding its brand into like a kind of Top Chef expanded universe. I mean, mm-hmm. you've uh, hosted Top Chef Amateurs, Top Chef Just Desserts. What's the future of Top Chef and how do you mm. keep that consistency? I mean, that's the hardest question. I, you know, I, 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 I joke that in season four, we were in Chicago and our executive producer at the time, creator of Top Chef, Andy Cohen, came to visit us on set. Um uh, he, you know, he was our our network executive at the mm, time, wow. and we we all went out for dinner. We're sitting around the table, and it's season four, which, by the way, I thought would never happen. And the fact that we got to season two was like a complete triumph. Mm. And we're sitting at the table, and I'm like, Andy, like, how long could you imagine the show going on for? Like, realistically, like, what's my future here? Do am I going to have a job tomorrow, or like, should I start? <laughs> you know, I had a different job. I was working at Food and Wine magazine, and mm. um, you know, should I? 
keep the plan B. What are we doing here? Uh, and he was like, I don't know, season 11? He sort of said very nonchalantly. <laughs> and I laughed in his face. Yeah. I was like, that is ridiculous. That's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. I'm not doing this till season 11. There's no way. I can't mm. imagine that anyone is going to want us in their living rooms at season 11. Um, and sure enough, we're making season 20 That's and right. still deep in it and love our jobs. Uh, so I think part of our future is not sticking too closely to what we believe our future will be. And it's to taking the temperature of the industry, evolving and changing our show, which we have done so many times. You know, we went into a pandemic and the restaurant industry basically disintegrated That's in front right. of our eyes. And we sat down and said, okay, how can we address this and still make TV that feels relevant and that will bring our community together? And we totally reinvented the show that season and did it somehow in a bubble, you know. It was a hell of a season too. I remember, you know, and we cried every day. Like we literally, it was the most difficult challenge we've ever faced because the world was like at war in five different ways. Sure. And, um, but also our, our industry was in peril and that sounds Mm. dramatic, but it was true. It truly was. But it, you know, the pandemic exposed so many cracks in so many systems and the restaurant industry certainly was one of them. So, I think part of it is just being true to the industry that we serve and seeing where it goes and taking cues from there. And then just, you know, giving people an escape because I love, there's nothing more I love. Like lots of people who are in the food industry, like you guys watch the show and, and understand what we do. But to me, the most satisfying thing too is for someone to come up to me, you know, on the subway or in a grocery store and say, I don't even know why I watch you guys because like, I don't like to cook. I'm not a foodie. <laughs> we get that. I, I, don't, I don't have anything, but it's their sport, right? To your yep. point. Yeah. And um, so I think it's making sure that we're inclusive and that word means a thousand things sure. inclusive um, in terms of our industry, in terms of equality in the world, include in terms of being able to tell diverse stories, but also inclusive to a wide audience that like people can watch it with their families but also they can watch it at two in the morning um, when they, you know, are, I don't know, doing other activities. I don't know. Like there's a million. <laughs> folding laundry. I did a lot of 2 a.m. Top Chef laundry, <laughs> I don't know. Coming home after a bar, like whatever they're doing or in a pandemic, they can go back to season one and watch it and find comfort in that. Um, but also we can teach them some stuff. And we're not trying to be like uh, condescending or educational, but I do think there's a piece of us that like empowers you to feel better about, you know, the world and it's hopeful and it's also, uh, you know, fun because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're not a foodie or love to cook or give anything about food. At the end of the day, we're all human and we all have to eat three times a day. So everyone has an opinion and how do you engage that and keep it going? And that's kind of our challenge, which we hope to keep doing. Here's the Top Chef season 50. Gail, we'll see Amen. you back here in 22 years. Yeah, we'll be in our walkers. Recap. Tom and I will just be like, <laughs> Padma will be like, it, she'll have an automatic one. She'll be like, <laughs> zipper, Vespa. All the food is going to be virtual reality and little pills. Little pills. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll be right there with you. Well, Gail and Josh, we've heard what you have to say. Now it's time to find out what other wacky ideas are rattling around there out in the Twitterverse. It's time for a portion we call Opinions Opinions Are Like Casseroles. God, it never gets old, Nicole. (laughs) You want to take the first opinion? All right. Sounds good. We'll go. uh, Let's see. At (laughs) let, Let Chacho feed you. 
Putting, quote, cotija cheese on street tacos is a crime, and don't call it Mexican at this point. Also putting cumin in a dish because it's, quote, Mexican. Talking about cot- overuse of cotija cheese and cumin in Mexican food. How do you feel, Gail? Hmm. Mm. Okay, let me think about this. I I do think there tends to sometimes be an overuse of cumin more than cotija cheese, uh, as I have seen it. Uh, but I do think that cotija cheese should not be everywhere. You don't want mm-hmm. it on every taco. There are certain tacos that do not need cheese. And I think our That's instinct absolutely. is just to smother everything in cheese, whether it's cotija or anything. Um, so I can get behind it, but also it's, yeah, I mean, a little cheese on certain <laughs> it's, a, it's a good cheese. It's a good cheese. It's a good there cheese. is a place, there is a place for the, the cotija cheese. There's a place for mm. cumin, but you need to have a light and delicate hand. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's often, I think, more about proportion than overuse. Yeah. In my humble opinion. And intention to me. It's like, why is it like my, my favorite? Yes. When I read the Cotija thing, my favorite application of Cotija on the taco right now is at a spot called Los Dorados. Never been. uh, Tacos Dorados. Most people in America would call them taquitos, Um, but Uh they are the the flauta shaped tacos Dorados Uh and they are smothered in. Multiple different kinds of salsa. And then the final thing to go on is just a hefty dusting of cotilla cheese. So the cotilla is the first thing that hits your palate. Mm. And then you're just like kind of blasted by the freshness and the acid with the crunch. It eats like um, like pani puri. Like sure. you, you get mm. the, just the yeah, crunch. Yeah, like explodes yeah. juiciness. Oh, so good. And I then mean, yeah, that sounds great. Cumin is, uh, that's really Taco Bell's fault. Cumin's used in Mexican cooking, but <laughs> yeah, sparingly. Yeah, it's not, but, I wouldn't say it's like the star flavor yeah, by any it's, means. It's Lowry's yeah. taco yeah. seasoning. People associate that <laughs> yeah. for whatever. It's like black olives right. and green onions. It's like, yeah. just, at some point, white people in the 70s started throwing it on their quote unquote taco dips. And now it's a thing. Now it's like canon. Yeah, yeah. So I get it. That's a good opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alyssa period Oros Co. says animal fat is disgusting. The leaner, Ooh. the better. Okay. If you don't care about flavor, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love cooking things in tallow. I love cooking things in is butter considered an animal fat? I'd say so. Yes. It's yeah. not necessarily yes, from it is dairy. It, but, I mean yeah. it's not protein. Yeah, it's yeah. not right from uh marbling. Yeah. Lardo tallow schmaltz. Give me schmaltz. a give me it all. Schmaltz. Give me it all. But not even that, just cooking a piece of meat, there is inherently fat in it and you can't cook the meat otherwise and the meat will have no flavor without Mm -hmm. fat. Fat holds the flavor molecules. Mm -hmm. So the more marbling in a piece of steak, for example, the more fat in a chicken thigh, that is why a chicken thigh inherently takes on and Mm -hmm. is more flavorful than a chicken breast, which is incredibly lean and basically like a, a piece of white bread. There's sure. no flavor there. Sure, you can add flavoring, but it doesn't taste like chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just that's that's where the flavor lies. Let alone the ability to keep moisture in. Mm-hmm. So if you enjoy no flavor and also um, eating really really dry, almost unswallowable <laughs> things, then no fat is for you. Yep. And may, you know what? Maybe they're living. There. Maybe they're just dipping their chicken breast into a cup of water and. And and that's all there is for that. I've started. I've started in my in my home. I've mm. started pulling away from like uh, 
oils. So I don't use like, like what is it called? Hydrogenated oils or like grapeseed mm-hmm. oils and mm. stuff. I've started removing it from our diet. And now we do, we do butter, tallow, avocado oil or olive oil. So it's just pressed oils great, and like animal fats oils. now. Yeah, we don't do we don't do any more neutral oils in my house. That is almost all that I cook with and I'm ashamed because <laughs> it's just so easy and I'm trying it's to easy. get off the we were all raised uh from watching food network shows that olive oil is what you should be cooking with all the That's time no true. matter what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at some point I like red pilled myself and I was like I, my my tipping moment was watching a Food Network chef. And again, I love Food Network. I don't know why I'm talking about this. I love Food Network. But yeah. I watched a Food Network chef making like an Asian, like it was a Korean recipe. And they're like, start with a glug of olive oil. And it was like, I don't think oil. historically yeah. that was part of the Korean cooking <laughs> canon. And it's very strange <laughs> that you're doing that. Um, schmaltz, though, is the best animal fat to cook yes. with. It's so unique. I'm learning how to use schmaltz more. It needs to be more readily available. Yeah, more it's readily not, available can schmaltz. I tell you what the problem is? Go yeah. to your butcher, though. Your butcher, yeah. if you have a good quality butcher, I do, I do. they usually keep some schmaltz or can, can get it yeah. for you. I go to the Sephardic butchers. They don't really do that <laughs> stuff. But I'll find a good Ashkenazi one. You want the next opinion, Josh? <laughs> I got it. I got it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, at Father of Imps, diced jalapenos mixed with grape jelly smothered on a hot dog. It's so good. Jalapeno, grape jelly, hot dog. Gail, where are we at? Personally, <laughs> I am not big into grape jelly, number one. Number two, but but that's okay. Like it has its place for sure with some mm. peanut butter. I, yeah. I'm all for it. But also, I don't know, you know, I'm not a salty sweet mixer by nature. Like mm. it's not my Mm-mm. it's not my go-to. But I will say this. I'm willing to accept that combination mostly because my daughter, who's nine years old. Uh, and very opinionated about food. <laughs> I wonder where she yeah. got that from. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually the easiest eater in my whole family. I just want to say the least judgmental, most easygoing eater in my family. That's not great. saying something because, wow, <laughs> cooking for them is a pain in the butt. No, that's not true. They're actually really good eaters. All to say, one of her favorite things to eat since she was about four years old that she created herself is a bagel with strawberry jam and capers. Cute. Oh. And I'm like, girl, that is problematic in this That's house. That's my kind of girl right there. No, but I love that. <laughs> she is like, mama, if you do another cookbook, this is in it. It is amazing. And I tasted it and I get why she likes it because there's that hit of salt and it. brininess and then the strawberry and the carbiness and the whole thing. It's kind of good. So you know what, um, father of imps? Yeah. I'm not going to knock it because I haven't tried it. <laughs> That's fair. I this this bears similarities to a delicacy that I grew up yep, eating. Go ahead and say which it. are you know what it is? Swedish meatballs? No, no, no. It is. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know if it has a name. But you take little Smokies, Hillshire Farms. Oh yeah. Dump them into a crock pot with equal parts barbecue sauce oh. and grape jelly. Oh, we did apricot gel- jam. Oh, little Canada apricot jam, which huh. I always thought was kind of weird, but also not terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. I would eat this. The salty with the sweet. I mean, it it kind of there's a lot of sweet sausages out there in the world that I do love. I would yeah. absolutely eat this, no problem. I, you know what I would do? I wouldn't eat it with a bun. It'd oh. be a Lucy. It'd be a Lucy <laughs> yeah. hot dog. Yeah, Lucy. Because also it would the be... jalapeno is a good yeah. idea. I think that's yes. I, that's. Mm. The most do you think these are fresh jalapenos or do you think they're canned I believe, jalapenos? I believe they're pickled. 
I think the pickled say, canned yeah, ones. Pickled canned ones for sure. And, and he's okay. getting some of the brine in there. Yeah. 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 I would I would simmer <laughs> the hot dog for anywhere between ten minutes to four hours. That's your problem. You the... <laughs> simmer it. You need to I'm telling you, what? score it and throw it in the pan. No, I want because I want the purple, the food dye from the grape jelly to or at least the Concord grape juice to seep in. I want to see like a instead of a smoke ring, like a grape jelly ring in my mouth. That's what I'm about. Josh, You're I'm learning so much about you today. And I I'm really very cultured and worldly. You. Thank you. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Grave period S says Takis dipped in Nutella is actually delicious. Takis. Gail, have you had a Taki? Oh, yes. Again, I have a nine-year-old daughter. Oh, of fair. Uh, who loves a Taki. She loves a Flaming Hot Cheeto. Mm. She tried to get me to buy these blue Takis the other day, and I'm like, absolutely not. I have to have some sort of standard in what I put into your body. Tell her they're not even that good. They don't no, even they're not that good. I can't even talk about it. <laughs> um, you know, again, it's kind of the same thing. I haven't tried it. I love Nutella. I understand the lure of a Taki. I bet that it sort of, you know, makes it a little creamy. It sort of coats your mouth so that the, the – Acidy flame is not as yeah. front forward, uh, you know. I love you trying to justify this. I, love I don't know what to justify it. it. I mean, it's incredible. It's oh, you can say it sounds bad. It sounds terrible. Yeah, it, it sounds, sounds like, pretty bad. Pretty bad. I, what I want to know is how he got there in the first place. Yeah. I know. So he probably, oh, they, whatever. They probably had one of the Nutella with the bread dippers. Oh, that's mm. what happened. And then their brains, you know, you know, whenever you have like intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like they were like, I don't need these breadsticks. I'm gonna dip a taki in there, and then they introduced the thoughts one, and then they typed this to us, and we responded. <laughs> yeah, we gave it our time and our energy. Yeah, <laughs> you don't think they went through multiple different dippers? No, I'm, I want to dip takis in just condensed milk now. Takis in condensed huh. milk because huh. it's the chocolate that's bothering me on this, right? I, uh, I don't yeah, like yeah, chocolate yeah. and acid to me. I just don't mm-hmm. like the combo. I don't even mm-hmm. like chocolate dipped strawberries all that much. And so that's where the Takis are bumping me. But you just get the sweet and the creamy on there. Fat. Someone once said fat transmits flavor. You know. Uh, <laughs> a wise, one, a wise got, person. Right? We got one more. Um, this one says, question specifically for Gail. Who is the greatest top? They didn't even know. I had they know she was going to be on the show. Uh, who, if you had to say there was one Top Chef contestant, if you put everybody together in one competition, who do you think would win? And you got to hurt this some feelings here. You got to oh, pick one. Oh, God, this is that's crazy. So you got to pick one because I'm really curious. I'm getting hives just thinking about you asking this question. <laughs> I know. That is, I mean, oh, God, that's really hard. Okay, I'm going to say something that might be controversial here. Okay. It just, it might be, and I have a few opinions. I mean, there's a lot of people here, but let's say if you, I mean, like, people ask, I've asked this a lot. Like, why don't you do a, a winner mm. circle competition? And the main reason is because they're all winners. And like this season has a lot of winners, but it's international. Mm-hmm. So it's different. Mm. But the reason that our, you know, 19 seasons of winners, we're not doing one is because unless they all do it, like they've already won. They don't need, mm. why would they risk losing after sure. they've won? And they can just like say I've won and walked away. But I will say if we put them all together at, I'm going to say Stephanie Izard. Stephanie Izard, hell yeah. I think maybe. And there's a lot of reasons. Like I could justify a lot of people here. But I'm going to say Steph because she went on after us to win everything. Mm-hmm. She became wow. a Food Wine Best New Chef. She won a James Beard Award. Then she won like some Iron wow. Chef 
gauntlet situation. Then she won some championship <laughs> other thing. Like she just is a pro heavyweight champion. Wow. And she not only deeply understands because I've now eaten also at all of her restaurants and she has a million. I mean, she is like an incredibly successful chef and restaurateur, but she inherently understands how we as humans like want to eat. And she nourishes that part of us that is like soulful and interesting and crazy and delicious. But she also is like the craziest warrior, professional killer fighter human. Damn. With the biggest smile you've ever seen. So that's my vote right now. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making it up, but I do believe my own words. I Again, Top Chef season 50, that's going to be it. Stephanie Izard mm-hmm. versus the world. I love that. Uh, and we got to go to the girl and the goat. Um, I've been. Restaurant in LA. Oh, you've, oh, I'm sorry. You're cool. Yeah, I've been. I, I actually haven't that. been to the LA one. So Josh... I'll come too now. Okay, we'll I can come too. No, I want to come we'll too now. We'll make a res. Hey, um, Tell us when you're in town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it for oh, three. Yeah. Make it for three. I'm coming. Done. Uh, <laughs> Gail, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, everybody, March 9th, Bravo, Top Chef, World All-Stars in That's London. Right. Sounds like an incredible season. Uh, Gail, you got anything else to plug? Where can people find you? Thank you. I mean, often in my pajamas, but also, um, I don't know, at Gail Simmons Eats on Instagram gailsimmons.com but um, I'm around I have a few things up my sleeve this year so just keep watching and also uh, you know stay tuned in London because we have the greatest time on Top Chef 20 Um, I'm clearing out the Thursdays in the calendar Uh, (laughs) and thank you all so much for watching and listening to A Hot Dog is a Sandwich we got new audio only episodes every Wednesday and then YouTube video drops on Fridays and if you want to be featured on Opinions or Like Casseroles you can hit us up at 833-DOGPOD1 the number again is 833-DOGPOD1 Gail you gotta call the hotline and leave us a voicemail (laughs) I think I have to I have opinions (laughs) Uh, alright and for more Mythical Kitchen we're on YouTube new videos every week you know the deal see y'all next time